Hey everyone, and welcome to the New Visionary Podcast, a podcast for artists who are ready to reach greater heights in their art careers. I'm your host, Victoria J. Fry, founder of Visionary Art Collective and New Visionary Magazine. Join me for inspiring conversations with some of the most inspirational visionaries in today's art world. Let's jump in. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm chatting with Tina Burning, a Berlin-based artist and illustrator, and Tracy Dawson, a Canadian-American author, TV writer, and actor. Together, Tracy and Tina recently collaborated on the book, Let Me Be Frank, a book about women who dress like men to do shit they weren't supposed to do. I am so excited for this conversation today. I can't wait to learn more about their journeys. Um, welcome, Tracy, and welcome, Tina. Hi. Thank you for having us. You are so welcome. I'm so ecstatic that you are both here. I cannot wait to learn more about the book, and I also can't wait to learn about just how the book came to be, how you both collaborated, and also about your individual journeys as creatives as well. So I would love to learn a little bit more before we dive into the book about your journeys And I was thinking that, Tina, we could perhaps start with you because, you know, you are the artist behind the beautiful illustrations of of Let Me Be Frank. (laughs) Would you like to start by telling us about your background and then we can jump in and hear from Tracy as well? Okay. So thank you for having me here on the podcast. I'm, as you said, the Berlin-based artist and illustrator. I have been working... First, as an illustrator, meaning I have been doing drawings mostly and paintings um, in commission and switched to doing both, like um, free art, free artistic um, illustration that I show in exhibitions, as well as commissioned artworks. And I love to do the mix, like Sometimes it is great to have the complete open field and sometimes it's a burden. So it's wonderful to get input content wise. So I'm currently mostly working um, for exhibitions, but um, and I'm in the situation that I can cherry pick the commission artworks. And one of the nicest cherries was definitely this project. And Tracy, will you tell us a little bit about your background as well and what led you to author a book? Yes, my journey is a little twisty turny, which, um, you know, you can only see when you're, when you're, you know, here, when you're in middle age and you look back and you go, wow, this went really much differently than I imagined and which is a gift. So I started off as an actor uh, in Canada, uh, comedian, stand-up, character comedian, And that led to a lot of, you know, film and TV work in Canada, because when you're a comedian, they like funny people and you, and you work. And, um, and then I, you know, you're writing the whole time when you're a comedian, you know, you just don't think of yourself as a writer, but you're writing your materials. And so it naturally progressed to writing plays, writing television, and that has been going really well. And I had an idea a few years ago for a TV project. And I did not set it up. I did not sell it, you know, to to anywhere. And you might not know this, Victoria, and it's not in the book, but so let me be frank, started as a TV idea that I thought would be a really cool, funny, feminist anthology series about all these women. 
And then when we didn't sell it, I was like sort of more depressed than when you don't sell pr projects. Like I was just extra depressed because I felt like I was letting these women down, you know, like I wanted to, to tell the stories. And so then I said, I wonder if this is a book. And then I just started writing and I met an amazing literary agent and I, you know, it sort of all happened super organically. And then, you know, from the moment that I said, I wonder if this is a book to selling the book to HarperCollins was four months. So it happened really fast, really beautifully. And then I, you know, we had, we were tasked with finding someone to do art for the book because we knew we wanted something that was extraordinary and not like, you know, a lot of illustrated books are very digital. It's very digital art and it's, it sort of looks I mean, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm being like an, like an asshole. <laughs> we just knew that we wanted something that was going to be like a beautiful work of art, you know, that was going to be elevated. And when, you know, in terms of the search for the illustrator, I was adamant about being really involved. You know, I didn't want to just someone to bring someone to me and say, this is who we want to use. Right. So then I scoured so many portfolios, so many websites. And then when I saw Tina's work, I, I literally stopped in my tracks because I was like, oh, like I just couldn't believe. And I just, I'm a pretty bold person. So I knew we wanted to go after her, but I was also doubtful that we would, that we would get a yes from her. You know what I mean? Because I just thought, I don't know what I thought, you know, you doubt yourself and you, and you just don't know if it's going to work. And then when she said, yes, it was like, honestly, one of the best, what a, it's such a great memory of just like so much joy. So, so like, I can't believe it. And uh, not to sound like, Wee! but like, it's been a joy ever since. <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful, though. I feel like sometimes these things happen kind of serendipitously, you know, like you have an idea and then there's someone else out there who either has the same idea or can just bring something to that idea to elevate it and make it that much more impactful. So I think it's a really beautiful collaboration. And I'm I'm glad that you spoke about that because that was one of my first questions for you was how did you two find each other and how did it come to be? So I wanted to ask you, like, how was collaborating on the book? Because I know that you were doing it overseas. So you weren't actually able to physically meet throughout the process. So how was that? Obviously, <laughs> completely digital. It doesn't really matter in these days. I think it was... Even if I have a client here in Berlin, I send the stuff by mail. It doesn't really make a change. So we had some Zoom talks, did we? I think so. And um, then I really, I asked um, Tracy to do it as the following. I wanted to read. And when reading, think about the drawings I would do and then doing them step by step from my feeling part by part, not read everything and then build a whole big thing up, but rather do it step by step. My theme in my artwork is always and most, it's definitely usually work figurative and mainly I'm working on the picture of women. So like on the, how are women depicted? What does this um say to us and how does it change or how does it change in this ever-changing world so this is my theme generally and when Tracy came up with this book and this wonderful idea digging back in history about the depiction of women and the depiction itself is how they depict themselves is one big theme in this in this um, book by 
dressing as men. I was, of course, immediately totally excited and said yes. So Tracy gave me the text. Some came later, right? The texts were coming step by step as well. There was a big batch in the beginning and then some later, some more texts came. And I was drawing step by step and then sending stuff to Tracy. And then we would, of course, she was the first one who I would show the pieces I thought were um, telling the story. And then we continued. So it wasn't the big distance wasn't, I think, at all a problem. Because we sold the book like literally a week into lockdown, like March 2020. It was so crazy. And then, of course, there was a process before Tina and I, before Tina and I found each other. And so, I mean, it was it was a few months, I think. Um, but I was writing, you know, when you sell a nonfiction book uh, for, for I didn't know this before I sold my first book, that when you sell a fiction book, you have to finish it completely before you sell it. But when you sell a nonfiction book, you can have like a handful of chapters written and then you can sell it and then you continue writing it. So we did have a bunch of stuff to give to Tina right off the bat, as she mentioned. And then I continued to write and then send her stuff. And then she was sending me stuff. I mean, honestly, it was such a dream because I just want to say like to collaborate, you know, sometimes it goes really well and sometimes it doesn't. You do, you don't really know until you're in the, in the thick of it. And it was when she said, this is how I'd like to work. I mean, I felt such trust and such, like, I felt like it was like, Tina's got it. That's how I felt. I never felt like I need to micromanage. I never felt like I needed to, I was going to take care of what I was the expert of, which is the words and the humor. And Tina was going to take care of these images. It doesn't mean that we weren't going to talk, but I could just say, I trust her. Like when you look at someone's work, uh, on their website or on their Instagram, and you and you literally love everything you see, you actually can just go, great, you go and you show me when you have something. And it was like, I just, it's hard to put into words like how freeing that felt and how comforting that was to just have that kind of relationship with Tina. Totally agreed. And I think this is the key thing to any collaboration. If you trust each other, that's it. If you don't, you will start controlling the other. You can't. And you're doing such a damage to your own work because everyone has a part that they are good in and you just bring them together. And I think this is what we celebrated, blind trust, just doing. Uh, there is not one word I was um, asking Tracy about to I, how would why should I yeah? um, tell her maybe this sounds weird or something. It's not it's, I, I mean, I love it anyway, but it's also not my business because she is the one who does this and I'm the one who does the drawing. And I think like this, it worked immediately. And I think honestly, we would have realized pretty quickly if it, if it worked or not. I mean, this is, this is the key thing. If it doesn't work, we wouldn't have been able to finish the whole book with, I don't, I don't, I haven't even counted how many illustrations it is. It's over 80. I think if you take the little I have not counted. It's a lot of illustrations because also like the other thing that I loved was um, so like it, for instance, like a chapter, like the Catherine Switzer chapter where she was the first woman, I should say, to run the Boston Marathon with official numbers. Right. And this is an example of a chapter where someone didn't literally dress as a man to do something they weren't supposed to do, but she registered for the Boston Marathon using her initials. They assumed she was a man. She ran the marathon. Just just to let the anyone listening know that 
we stretch the premise of what dressing, quote unquote, dressing as a man. Uh, but with that particular chapter, there's this moment in Catherine's story where she shows up to run the marathon wearing red lipstick. And her boyfriend at the time was like, ugh, like, like, that's so embarrassing. Take your lipstick off. And she was like, no, like, you know, and she was like, fuck off. You know what I mean? Like, get out of my shit. You know, and she ran the marathon wearing lipstick. And so when I finished that chapter and I, and I sent it to Tina, I just said, I'm not going to tell Tina anything about the illustration, right? But I said something with the lipstick. Like if there's some way that we could, I just love that moment so much. And so Tina did like a spot art, you know, on one of the pages of, of the lipstick. And I think in the illustration also she's where she, she has uh, red lips. And so I just, that's the kind of thing where um, I'm not going to tell Tina, but sometimes if something resonates so deeply in me about the chapter, about the woman, I'll just say that something like that, you know? It's amazing to hear you both just describe the process. And it sounds like you had such an organic and beautiful collaboration and partnership, which is amazing considering you had never met or had any, you know, like really contact before. And for it to work that seamlessly, I think is such a rare and beautiful thing. Um, and so I wanted to First, just thank you both for sharing about your journeys and how the collaboration was. Um, Tracy, I wanted to dial it back a little bit and just ask you, like, because I know you mentioned that you had this, the idea for this book for a while, and originally you were kind of visualizing it as a TV series. But where did the idea come from in the first place? And I know sometimes it's hard to even pinpoint that, but I think our listeners might be curious to know what the motivation and the inspiration was. To begin with, in the introduction of the book, I write about um, a time um, about ten years ago when I was starting out in TV writing in here in Los Angeles. And you go out on all these meetings at different studios and networks because they need to hire a bunch of writers for their TV shows. And so I was meeting with an executive at a big studio. This executive said, "Which of our shows do you connect with? Can you? Which ones can you see yourselves writing on?" And I said, well, this, this, and this, you know, and then this executive who was a woman said to me, oh, well, none of the shows that you just mentioned have any female needs. And I was just, I think I must've turned red. I felt so ashamed. I felt like someone was telling me, you're not a comedy writer. You're a female writer, you know, and I had never, it had never crossed my mind before, you know? And so that's why I felt ashamed because I felt really stupid. And I went home and of course I went through all the stages of grief and anger and rage. And it did get me thinking about women um, through the ages and having to perhaps, you know, because I, I just thought to myself, well, should I, I have no bosom, you know, I don't have cheekbones. Like, you know, do you want me to pass as a man so that I can write some fucking jokes? Like, is that what we're talking about here? You know, of course, I didn't really think about that seriously. But so that happened. And of course, it stuck with me. It just like planted this seed of like, that someone could say that there's jobs open, but they're not open to you because we've filled our quota of how many women we think should be in the room because we're specialty items and we're not foundational items. We're not neutral. It just enraged me. And then I don't know how many years later, maybe just like a year or two later, I read an, an article in Jezebel about um, the author, Catherine Nichols, who had sent out her book, uh, like the first 10 pages of her book and her query letters. She sent it out to all these agents and literary people. 
with her real female name. And then she got a pretty dismal response. So she sent it out the exact same submission, but with a male name, a fake name. And she got a way better response. And again, so I, so that thing had happened to me. And then I read that article and I was like, wait a second. And I honestly thought, I was like, is there something here? Oh, there probably is. There probably aren't enough stories to fill a project. That's what I really thought. I said, well, let me just do some research. I love research. This book would not be possible without me being a little obsessed with research. <laughs> so I started to research and I was like, holy shit. Like it's way more. And the stories are very diverse, which of course is exciting too, right? Like there's, there's all kinds of, of stories of that fit this sort of bill. Uh, which really the foundation is not about gender identity. The, the foundation is really about defiance. You're going to tell me that I can't do X, Y, Z, and I'm going to figure out a way to circumvent the patriarchy and the rules, and I'm going to do it anyway. I am all about breaking the rules, especially for women. And so I was in. And then what happened was I came up with the title. And this is key, because when I came up with the title, Let Me Be Frank, I said, well, now this has to be a project. I, I literally was like, it was a message from the gods. It was, it, it was divine intervention. It was like, oh, this has to be a project now, which is another reason why when we didn't set up the TV version, I said, I have to, I have to do this. And I think it was always meant to be a book. It's just that I never thought of myself as someone who wrote books before. That's all, you know, and now I'm like, oh, I love books. I'm working on my second book. Amazing. Thank you for sharing. Like, it's so cool to hear about how personal this is to you based on your experiences in Los Angeles. And I wanted to ask you, like, it was, it's something I was super curious about for both of you, actually. Out of all the stories in this book, were there any in particular that really resonated with you or that surprised you or that just you connected with on a deeper level? Like, I love Dorothy Lawrence um, because Dorothy Lawrence is someone who is a teenager. You know, she wanted to be a journalist. That's all she wanted. She wanted to write. And it was, a, you know, World War I was starting and um, and she was laughed at. You know, women would have been, uh, if they were writing, if they were writing in, in the newspaper or whatever, they would have probably got female assignments, you know, about baking or about like home life. You know what I mean? And she wanted a scoop. And so when they all laughed at her and didn't want to give her real positions, she took the ferry over to France during the war with her bike, just her and her bike. And she went over there and with the help of some, you know, boys from back home, soldiers from back home, she got a disguise. She disguised herself as a, as a young man. She made it to the front line. She cut off all of her long hair. She, and she wrote a book about it um, when she came back to England and, it's funny. You can read it online. I found it on Google Books. And it's funny. She's self-deprecating. She's she's wisecracking, you know, and I really felt this like kinship towards her. But also they, she was treated like a failure. You know, she was they 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 did not give good reviews of her book. They made fun of her. They called her a freak, a freak of nature. And it did not go well for her. And so I love Dorothy because my thing is everybody spun her story as if she was a failure. Her story is a complete success. As soon as she gets on that ferry in England to cross the channel to go over to France, just turn her bike at 19 years old. Are you joking? That's, that's, that's like, oh, I'm, you know, you're a success in my eyes. And so I just, I just love her so much. Yeah. So my, one of my favorites is Hatshepsut, 
whose name I never can pronounce properly. Tracy, you can do it so nicely. So that was a... No, you did it. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> now I have it, finally. Um, so she was a um, pharaoh, an Egyptian pharaoh. And um, I have seen her face so many times and her statues in pictures, but I never was aware she was a woman because she was putting a beard to put an, a male application to herself to make her more powerful and it worked and I was so amazed so it goes so long way back um, all the all the stories in this book are so from such different um, times and I was really impressed that I never realized because she was tricking me out as well, uh, like all of us. And the other one um, that, of course, now even more um, is so striking are the Iranian women sneaking in the, into the stadium. So this was a story or uh, thing, something that happened in 2015 or 16, Tracy? It was ongoing. There's so many different stories that were like, t t you know, 20... Many different stories, yeah. Mm -hmm. So Iranian women wanting to um, look at football games in the stadium, sneaking in with beards, tape on their faces, and now we, um, we, we have seen how brave these women are and how much they are. I, it really makes me so emotional. Yeah, it's the whole span in this book. So we have like we're going back like 2000 years as well as um, something that is totally contemporary. The book came out when the Supreme Court um, was pushing on the on abortion rights. And we didn't believe how close and how relevant this book is forever and ever and how it could get even more relevant after we finished it, Tracy. So um, this is, these are like my, this is like the complete story from the beginning to the, like from very old to very now. And we see everything is still relevant. All these women were dressing like men, fighting like hell, and we are still in the same position. Well, and, and, that, and I had a question for you both to kind of follow up on that, which is how was it to just go through, I mean, for you, Tracy, going through the research process and learning about, I'm sure there were many stories that you, maybe you weren't familiar with until you started researching. And for Tina, I'm sure as Tracy was sending you the texts, you were also discovering, you know, these some amazing women that you were not familiar with their stories either. And what impact did it have on you as you started diving more into the research or learning more about these women's stories, like how did it impact you on a personal level as a woman? Because I feel like there's probably so many emotions that come up. It's like, on one hand, you're like, yes, like this is awesome. But on the other hand, you're like, probably so angry too. <laughs> you're like, why did they even have to do these things? You know, and so to, to even get seen or to even do what they wanted to do, accomplish the things they wanted to accomplish. So how how did it impact you, just the whole process, learning these women's stories on a personal level? Yeah, I mean, it definitely, there were days where you're filled up with the perseverance, defiance, and triumph. And there's days where you have to take breaks and lie down with your dog and feel this sort of grief and heaviness of eons upon eons of being barred even people who were innovators, people who would have made 
the world better with their ideas and you think that they were told, no, we don't want that from you because you're a woman. The same thing with black and brown people throughout history and queer people and indigenous people, because we all know who was in charge. And so it was, and there's been nothing better than people reaching out to me, like readers uh, of the book who say, I'm laughing because the book is written with humor, which we should definitely point out. So there's a real, I'm a, I'm a comedy writer. That's my background, right? So I wasn't going to put on a different voice to write this book. It was going to be my voice. And my voice is someone that can be telling heartbreaking, infuriating stories while also making you laugh because that's my whole jam. So when people would reach out to me and say, one minute I'm laughing and the next minute I'm infuriated, I was very uh, pleased, to be honest, because that's what I think is, that's going to also help enlighten people. You know, this book is not just for women readers. This book is for for all all people of all genders. And it's like, we want to um, educate, you know, while making people maybe laugh a little and then maybe a little crying. <laughs> yeah, to- totally agreed. Um it's really, it's exactly this feeling. It's first, or not not first, but hardly you read it and think it's like way back, um, it's history. And then um, you realize, no, no, it's still like this. This is the one point. And all those efforts, as I earlier said, all these women brought and we are still there. But then um, it's it's like, um, like there's this Louise Augustinglaise, um, a French young woman who was um, brought to a hospital for hysteria, which was like a it sickness they they the women had in in those days, and um, she was really so terribly objectified. She was so misused by being glorified as the it. Um, woman of hysteria as a medical phenomenon, she was shown like in a zoo. And um, this, this is this is one story that for me is very very dark because it's also a very visual story because she was obviously a good-looking woman, so she was a target um, because she was a good-looking woman, and you could you could show her nicely and you could. Project everything on her that those doctors wanted to show off with and um, attract their audience. And this is a very, very closely connected, of course, to how to our reception nowadays. When um, on how people are focusing on who they are focusing and how they use their visuals. So this this is a story I I was really touched by and also very angry about so yeah the hysteria chapter is something because I mean I I was I learned so much when I was reading about Louise Augustine Glaze and the thing that she fits into the book perfectly not only because we're talking about hysteria and you know that it's sort of a misogynist diagnosis but also she escaped from the sanitarium disguised as a as a boy. And so I was like, aha, this is a perfect way to put her in the book because even though her whole story is not uh, hinging on this male disguise, it's her, it's her liberation. It's her own self-made liberation from that hospital that is linked 
to the theme of the book, right? But in the meantime, I got to write, you know, a lot about hysteria in that chapter uh, before she inevitably escapes. It's amazing. And I, I think it's just such an important book to read because I was also not familiar with so many of these women and their stories. And I thought that I really was familiar with like, you know, the women in history who really paved the way forward. But actually, there was so much that I didn't know. Um, there were so many stories I was not familiar with. And I think, like you said, Tracy, it's a book for everyone. It's not just a book for women. It's it's a, a book that is hard to read in a way. But I, I just want to say, I love that you both brought your personalities. Like, I really appreciate that you both brought, you know, Tracy with you bringing your humor into the book. And I think it actually makes it easier to get through those hard parts because of that. And Tina, you bringing your beautiful illustration that's so authentic to you into the book as well. Like it's just, it's such a beautiful thing. But yeah, it's it's a powerful book. It's an important book. And I can imagine that it is also one that I think just is going to conjure up a lot of different feelings for people when they're reading it. Because we've come such a long way, but we also have such a far way to go. And so that kind of brings me to my next question, which is, I know that a big part of this book for you was is to spread awareness of these women and their stories and to really shine a light on it. What would you say is also part of the impact or like the driving force, the impact that you're, you hope to make through this book? I always want to entertain, right? I mean, I can't help it. I want to entertain. But the thing is, I don't want to entertain for no reason. I want to entertain to get my feminist agenda across. <laughs> And that's a joke and it's serious because, you know, this is what I realize. I feel like I have uh, gifts and I want to use them to contribute to greater enlightenment. And that I think the greatest lie that we've been told is that women are less than. I mean, it's it's infuriating. It's like a it's like an eons long gaslighting of ridic ridiculousness that, to think that we are. So I just have this as a core, like central beacon. Uh, of the work and the creativity, what I want to do with my work, right? And so I just want people to think about something differently, but I also want to entertain them because, you know, I, that's just the, the, maybe that's just what I grew up wanting to uh, get love by making people laugh. <laughs> but um, that's, I just want people to consider something differently and to, you know, shake them up a bit. I've also had people reach out to me and saying, you know, reading your book inspired me to do X, Y, Z, like women. And that's not something I really actually thought about. You know, I didn't think people would read it and feel a personal inspiration in their lives to do something that maybe they were afraid to do or whatever, ask for a promotion. Like, you know what I mean? Like to just to sort of go, oh my God, look what the women in this book did. So I can do something too like that. I didn't actually anticipate that. It's incredible. Uh, I, was, I was just thinking about this saying that um, when you read those biographies and you see those big, big efforts these women took, then your own little problems get so small. And my grandfather would say, your um, problems on a sandwich, nobody would, would have enough to eat. So it's something, I think this is what makes people have the idea when they read the book and really think like, okay, it's such a small effort to ask for this or to do this now that I read those biographies about what all these women did. So this is one thing. And um, 
I can imagine why these women, why your, why readers read the book and then think, oh, I have to, I have to change something. I have to do something. And for me personally, working on the depiction of women, thinking about um, the visual of uh, or showing with visuals of women, the inner flame, how I like to call it, like the feeling, the the emotions that are in between the lines that are within the, the eyes, within the the body. It was a great, great um, exercise and source to work back in history, to look at these, to have these um, the same thoughts, but um, within history. And of course, as Tracy, probably not that much. I did a lot of research um, to to get a feeling for those times, for the different times, to find sources, to um, read descriptions of these women. And um, it was perfectly fitting into my body of work on women, giving it a new perspective simply. Because uh, what happens if women dress as men? And how does that change? And how much women is the woman dressed as men? How much um, does the feeling show through? And this is something I, I was very much interested in. And that is also something I want to bring forward. That's amazing. I think that when you work on you know, any kind of project, and for you too, it was this book, where you are so passionate and excited when you're writing it or when you're illustrating it, it really does come through. And I think it's kind of contagious for the readers. But, you know, Tracy, you said that it was a little bit surprising how people felt this sense of like inspiration or motivation after reading the book. But I can imagine that you read these stories and you feel this sense of like, self-advocacy. Like I need to really advocate for myself in the way that these women did. And and Tina, like you said, <laughs> it does make our, you know, what we're dealing with today uh, feel a little bit more tame because many of these women were like just trying to survive. They were in survival mode. But I think we still do have a long way to go in terms of equality for sure. But this book is a really powerful step in the right direction. And I think the more we can spread awareness and share these stories, because like I said, I was actually not familiar with so many of these women. It's, it is an important step forward. And I think that's one of the best things we can continue to do is just share these stories, highlight the women who have come before us and who have helped to pave the way forward. But um, I wanted, before we wrap up, I just want to ask if there are any final thoughts that either of you have on the book, what you hope readers will get out of it, how the process has been for you, really just any, any final words or thoughts that you would like to share. So we named a few of those women already. And one of my favorite chapters is definitely about authors. So the chapter is called Anonymous Was a Woman. And um, endless women in history until not so long ago were using um, male names or writing as anonymous. And there is there's so many um, famous authors we just weren't thinking about that they did this to be able to publish. And I think this is something... If if you are cur if you if the listeners are curious about the book, this is definitely one 
great chapter to sneak into the whole story. I think this is very close. Like if you read about Virginia Woolf and whoever, it's so many um, authors who did this um, to write under a male name to be published. And um, this is, I think, a very interesting part of the book. I want to highlight in this situation. Ah, that's that's nice. I like that. Well, I I will just piggyback on that because it was certainly I would go to my most well-read friends as I was researching the book and who people who have read far more than I have. And nobody nobody knew that Jane Austen had not written while she was alive using her name. There was never a book that said by Jane Austen that existed in the world while she was alive. And she only wrote anonymously. And same with the Bronte sisters, my, all my friends, nobody knew that they, while they were alive, they only wrote using male names. And it was only after their death was it revealed. And so it goes back to what you were saying, Victoria. There's a lot of, there's some people in the book who people know or they're familiar with, but they maybe don't know the whole, they don't know everything, right? Because we should talk about this. You know, we should talk about, how many women felt the need to write using a male pseudonym or to write anonymously and how many decades and, and years that went on and still to this day for different reasons than in the time of Jane Austen, for sure. But, um, you know, when you think about JK Rowling, whatever year that first Harry Potter book came out, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that if the publisher was saying, we don't think it's a good idea to put the name Joanne on this book about a boy wizard, that's that's a decision steeped in misogyny. The reason that they might say is because it's about sales and it's about money and finances. But the underlying message is the the female name is less than. It's not going to produce. It's going to have a negative backlash. I mean, that's steeped in misogyny. And so I will never stop banging my drum about that. It just makes me so angry. <laughs> so I was I was very excited to write that epic middle chapter, uh, Anonymous Was a Woman. Well, and it's so true too. It's like, I think part of it is you won't be taken as seriously, you know, if your name is on it. The, and, and I think that it's interesting as you're talking, I'm even thinking about like my own experience just as an entrepreneur and building my company over the last few years. I have felt a little bit like I've had to work a little bit harder and come off. Sometimes I do feel like I have to come off in a more serious way than my natural personality because I have this underlying fear that I think is just ingrained into us that we're not even like fully aware of as women. Worrying, will I be taken seriously? You know, it, and then thinking like, well, I have this dream. I'll just share with you because it's so relevant to what we're talking about. But I have a dream of opening a gallery here in New York City within the next few years because there are so many galleries here that are just rent, run by men, opened by men. And, and as I'm walking through the streets of Manhattan, there are not many female-owned galleries. I mean, there are more now, of course, than there used to be. But I also feel this desire and this urge to like help fill that gap. But then these questions come up where I'm like, well, will I be taken as seriously you know, as some of these big-name galleries that are run by men. And so it, it's a really important thing to think about. I think it's still so relevant, even though some of these stories are, you know, hundreds of years old. It's something we're still kind of grappling with today. Um, and it's, you know, we're, we're making progress, but we still have a ways to go. And I'm just, I'm so excited about the book. I think it's such a beautiful thing. I am 
just amazed by the work you are both doing. Truly, it's so it's such important work. It's such relevant work. And before we wrap up, um, where can we find the book? Where can we order it? I'll include that in the show notes. But if you would like to share that with us as well. Well, I'm very excited to say this is a HarperCollins book. And so it is uh, widely available at all bookstores, uh, everything online. Also, in addition to the States, it's in Canada, it's in the UK, it's in Ireland, it's in Australia. So you can get it pretty much anywhere. And so go for it. Yeah, even somebody complained today on Instagram to me um, that they he doesn't get the book in Germany. And I checked an online bookstore and it was there to deliver Rebel for the next day. And I said to him, no, no, you have to. But I want to thank you both again so much for joining me today. It was an absolute honor and privilege to have you on the podcast. I'm such a big fan of both of you and the work you're doing. I will include all of the links, including both of your websites and where people can shop the book in the show notes. So thank you both so much for coming today. Yeah, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in and supporting our platform. To learn more about New Visionary Magazine, head over to visionaryartcollective.com slash magazine. You can order individual copies on Amazon or subscribe annually to digital issues. We also have opportunities to get featured in the magazine, so be sure to join our newsletter and follow us on Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or tag us on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.